Welcome to the Dell Technologies Edge and IoT Power Chat podcast series, where you hear from the experts about edge and IoT, safety and security, and computer vision technologies. Hello, everyone. Bruce Hall here, and welcome to another Dell Technologies Edge and IoT Power Chat. And today we're going to talk about smart cities. And our guest is Mr. Edgardo Lopez who's an advisory solutions architect within the Edge IoT Safety and Security Group for Dell. How are you doing today, Edgardo? Pretty good. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks very much for being on the podcast. May I call you Ed? By all means. And Ed, could we start with a little bit of your background, please? I have been in this type of industry for roughly 20 years. I went to Florida International University. I worked quite a while for General Electric. After that, I worked for Sony, in both cases, uh, gaining a lot of experience with them, good companies, a milestone, and now I have the privilege to work with Dell Technologies. Ed, let's start with some definitions. We hear the phrase digital city, connected city, smart city, and others. What do you mean by smart city? Before I can do that, I would like to go a little bit back. This is something that the industry has been approaching for quite a while now. At the beginning, of course, the technology was not there. So there was roughly a concept of what the future would have been. And we started with city surveillance, which always security was the main point of all this. And then as technology matured, we went to safe city, digital city, intelligent city, and now a smart city. So basically, before we can describe it, we have to see how technology mature in order to achieve the different levels. And even that, sometimes we have some of these definitions that overlap others. Well, there are some new terms that even I have not heard. So let's try to narrow it down to digital city versus smart city. A smart city or digital city varies because the digital city doesn't necessarily have to require any kind of intelligence. Okay, digital city just requires that the devices that you use are digitally enabled. Typically, we're talking about IP systems that before we did not have that. So now with the advent of new technology, the IP devices have become a lot more intelligent. Okay, you can now run algorithms and programs within the camera itself, something that before we could not do, even at the beginning of IP that was not available. Nowadays, we have a choice. We can run applications or even analytics within the camera at the edge, or we can actually run it at the central location or anywhere in between in order to make the system more viable and efficient. Can you tell us what new edge and IoT technologies enable a digital city to evolve to become a smart city? As I mentioned before, we have a lot of new technology available. And as we speak, there's always somebody trying to improve that. Right now, we, at the beginning, as I said, we concentrated on the camera itself. Now we went much more beyond that. Now we have devices that can actually provide quite a bit of information and data that can contribute to the overall expectation of what the smart city would be. We have devices in the field that can measure temperature, pressure, power consumption, and all kinds of information. So when you put the actual security as part of it, and then you can gather additional information and centralize that in a main control center or a distributor type of centers in which each one of the centers have a particular job to perform, you end up with vast amount of information that can be used to either protect the public, handle disasters, unknown situations and things like that, and it makes it a lot better for the public at large. 
So we're seeing a lot more data come off these devices. We're trying to make decisions with this data. Can you give examples of these new analytics and decisions they're helping to make? Yes, of course. As I mentioned at the beginning also, human is have their limitations, of course. We all know that. With the amount of data coming into a control center, and that includes everything from the cameras on, it will be literally impossible for an operator or a human being to be able to track every single situation. In order to mitigate those factors, the development of robust analytics have come into play. So we have analytics now that can control power fluctuations. So if a system has a huge fluctuation of power, then you can see something is wrong and an event or an alarm can be configured to notify an operator. You also have in the area of video, you have line crossing. If an automobile is going in the wrong direction, you have now an analytic that would advise an operator that something is happening and it will direct the operator to the right camera. That camera could be then put on a video wall for everybody to see. So we're centralizing this data into control centers and doing things like power grid monitoring, traffic monitoring. What else? The same with people counting. Sometimes you have, let's say, like a train station and you have a limitation on the amount of people that could be at a particular area. So some of these analytics actually count the amount of people in that particular area and it could close access to that area for a period of time. So there are a lot of analytics and intelligence systems that play a huge factor. As technology matures, these analytic systems and algorithms that form the analytics are going to get better and it will be easier to have situations monitored in a much improved fashion in order to achieve the goals easier and faster with a minimum error. That sounds great, and a lot of what you're talking about seems to relate to safety, safety of the public, safety of the individual. Would you agree with that? That is correct, or at least that's the main intent of these systems, the safety of the individual, the safety of the population, and for the better of mankind. That inevitably leads to the next question, which is that of privacy and anonymity. How do you preserve that when you're observing people? That is an extremely good question. Before I answer that, aside from the use of security, the marketing industry have found a really good system that can help them promote products. So, for example, you have now stores, department stores, that could analyze your movements within the store itself and see what kind of products would you like, which products are actually having better response to the general public versus the ones that are not really interested. So what happened is that some of this information that is acquired is requires certain level of privacy in order to make it effective, but at the same time not enter into an area that should not happen. So this information that comes to the store owner or to the corporation itself is information that is used, obviously, in order to buy better products and products that are actually more sellable, that has the ability to move. There is some concern for privacy, not only in that area, but also in surveillance. So what does the legal community have to say about this privacy? There are several laws, and it depends a lot on the country. The Europeans have put together a lot of laws in order to protect the individual. In some countries, you can actually request to be removed from the database. Okay, some other countries have different type of laws. Some of these systems have the availability of blurring areas that should not be available to anybody watching or reviewing the video. So there are guidelines in place in order to protect the individual, to protect the privacy. But unfortunately, let's be honest, some countries and some individuals don't follow the rules. 
and sometimes that could be a problem. But the main concept and the main idea of all this system is actually to improve the standard of living, improve the economy, and of course, improve the security of the people. Let me raise another concern now about the technologies you're talking about and perhaps the Internet of Things in general, and that's that of security and hacking. How do we guard against those threats? In order to mitigate hacking, the designers, the engineers, people like me and many other people that are involved or part of a project, they have to keep in mind that it's not only the installation of a camera, the wiring of a camera, the installation of a server, or the installation of the storage. You need to put into the whole design security boundaries, okay, security guards, if you want to call it that way, in which, for example, it's not easy for a hacker to come in. Okay, and it could be something as simple as securing the wire that is going into a camera that is mounted outside the building within a casing or within a conduit that would not allow anybody to easily have access to that wire and try to connect to the internal network of the building. That's a fairly simple physical fix. What other options are there? It could be also more complicated in which you have a firewalls which are devices or applications that will stop certain traffic coming in through a particular port or digital ports. Within the whole design, and this is not only the responsibility of any particular supplier, you know, everybody has a little bit of responsibility on this. The integrator has to make sure the infrastructure and the mounting of the equipment and the location of the equipment is secure. The developer of the software has to put in limitation on access. You have to have authorization levels, sometimes more than one. The manufacturer of the equipment and the application running within that equipment and the operating system also has to require authorization levels. So there are all kinds of different areas that can be secure in order to minimize. And I want to use this word carefully. We have to minimize the potential for hacking. So that's a key phrase you used, minimized. We're never fully immune from this threat, correct? Unfortunately, as we speak, there are always hackers trying to figure out a new way of doing things. And we, within the industry, have to figure out a new way to stop those attempts to puncture through the safeguards that we can put in. So it's a responsibility of everybody within the project to make sure that they minimize the availability of a hacker to come in easily and try to make it, uh, again, as difficult as possible to try to stop them. This concludes part one of our podcast. Check back for part two where Ed discusses technologies needed for a smart city solution, the smart city ecosystem, getting started with smart city projects, examples of smart city deployments, where to find more info, and final thoughts.